The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. Welcome to The Howler. Your weekly look into the state of Wolfpack Athletics. Now let's go to your hosts, Drew Blevins and Nick Sinopoli. And we welcome you inside of our studios here at the West Dunn Building. Proud to bring you another edition of The Howler. You're about to be given the state of Wolfpack Athletics. As always, we're proud to be brought to you by our friends at White Street Brewery. Hi there, everybody. I'm Drew Blevins, joined by Nick Sinopoli. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Always in our first segment, we're joined by a special guest. And this time, it's a very special guest, making his first appearance on the show from 99.9 FM, the fan, Joe Obius. Joe, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Yeah, no, anytime. Uh, it's just a shame I'm not there with the title sponsor. I wouldn't mind a coach from White Street, but that's another story for another day. And you know, it's actually funny because the owner's son atten- attended NC State University before taking an internship to be a chef out in Washington, D.C. He was actually my former roommate, oddly enough. There you go. How about that? <laughs> Well, Joe, we would like to start off talking about college basketball, a season that just ended a little less than 48 hours ago with a national championship making its way back to the Old North State as the North Carolina Tar Heels won their sixth national championship in school history. Looking up and down this collegiate basketball season, is North Carolina the legitimate top dog national champion, in your opinion, because they had a season for the ages? Yeah, the uh, it's it's very dangerous sometimes to kind of get wrapped up in you know who you know regular season versus the the NCAA champion. Sometimes the best team doesn't always win, but I, I'd be hard pressed to hear any arguments against that. Uh, what they did in the regular season of the ACC, unbalanced schedules aside, in the ACC they were clearly the best one. Uh, you throw your hat in the ring when it comes to the ACC tournament. If it wasn't for the fact that um, if it wasn't the fact that Duke uh, could not get knocked out by a team, like they they asked teams to beat them, both Louisville and North Carolina, but they, they just would not take advantage of it, especially in that Louisville game. It looked like Duke was ready to go home. But the tournament, to me, was more fascinating than anything that had taken place in the regular season because in all four of those games, they had every reason to lose. Uh, the Arkansas game... They had breaks go their way, or they made one particular play to get them over. In the game against Kentucky, it was more of the same, and obviously you ended with the May shot. Uh, Against Oregon, it's Kennedy Meeks carrying them on their back in the first half, and then if you told me that a team in a clutch situation was going to miss four straight free throws, I would tell you they lose. Instead, what ends up happening, they get a Theo Pinson swat, and a Kennedy Meeks rebound, and here you go. They're all off to the final where they're even more of it. Isaiah Hicks, who hasn't really had a great tournament, comes up big. And then obviously Kennedy Meeks again, who I thought should have been the tournament MOP, ends up having that crucial block there at the end. So they've basically answered every question and found out different ways to win. And to me, not only were they the best team, but they were clearly the most resilient team because they had faced losses multiple times in this tournament and found a way to pull it through. And now really dissecting that final matchup, that national championship contest between North Carolina and Gonzaga. Entering that matchup, honestly, in my opinion, I think I, you know, didn't really think Gonzaga had a chance. Didn't think they had enough presence on the glass. But you've got Collins and you've got Karnowski in there that had an incredible, had incredible tournaments. Karnowski, of course, not playing as well as he had in the tournament in that final game. But... Going off of what I just said, North Carolina's rebounding. How big of a factor was that in that final matchup? Well, their rebounding, specifically their offensive rebounding, the amount of missed shots that they were able to take and put back, that was really the key for North Carolina from the second half of the season on. They were not a great jump-shooting team outside of Justin Jackson. He was really their lone answer in terms of perimeter offense. Theo Pinson was an adventure. Sometimes he would make his YOLO threes. Sometimes he wouldn't. Uh, but really, you're relying on Theo to help run your offense and be a be a defender. Uh, and Joel Barry has been playing on two bad ankles for probably longer than we care to admit. And he, but look, he's a tough dude. And he's a, you know, it was never a matter of whether he was going to play or not. It was just how effective would he be. So rebounding has always been 
their their edge. Uh, in fact, in a weird sort of situation, you could kind of plug and play numbers, and I could tell you right off the bat whether they were going to win or lose that game. If they were out-rebounded or they weren't getting a good percentage of their missed shots, go look at the go look at the wins and losses. I think out of them, six of their seven losses ended up being because of those rebounding margins not going typically the way they had gone against North Carolina. But to back to your point about Gonzaga and whether or not they would have been a good matchup or not, I get the idea that people were kind of burned on the Zags with their lack of tournament success. But if you really go back and look, they pretty much were a typical, you know, properly seeded team more often than not. You know, they kind of lived up to their seeding more often than not. You know, like you can bring up Duke, right? Duke, if you uh, if you look at the history of their seeding, perpetually underachieves based on their seeding. Now, with a lot of those underachievements, they also have five national titles. So you're going to take the wins, you're going to take those over those losses. So they've obviously been clearly good more often than not. I think the reason why people got perturbed by the Zags is that we all try to get too cute with it, and we're like, they're going to be the Cinderella, and they're going to go away, and they felt burned by it not really understanding that, guess what? Number one seeds lose all the time. Number two seeds lose all the time. It's just that we put a different we, we put a different expectation on the Zags because we wanted a good story. But this Zags team was probably the best equipped to take out North Carolina. North Carolina had not faced a team with that front court depth throughout at any point in the, uh, in the NCAA tournament or really any point down the stretch in the ACC outside of, say, Louisville, which was like a man's game when they visited Chapel Hill. So you, you mentioned Karnowski, Bam Bam Bigelow, the Mountain, whatever you want to call him. Um, you know, having a having an off game. Well, a lot of that had to do with Kennedy Meeks. You know, you, you have to you have to credit North Carolina's defense for neutralizing those situations. I mean, Zach Collins was probably of all the NBA talent on the court Monday night. That's the guy that the NBA is going to take keen interest in. The guy's a super. He's a superstar in the making. People are going to fall in love with his upside. But they did a good good job neutralizing him. And Nigel Williams Goss uh, on the backcourt, there was probably no hotter hand in the tournament than him. But Justin Jackson and Theo Pinson did an excellent job forcing him to kind of play a little hero ball from time to time. And uh, all those things, all that has to come together. And that's why they end up winning. And to localize this for all the NC State fans that are our primary listening base, now in two out of the past three seasons, you've got a national championship that's just down the road a couple of miles either way with Duke having one and North Carolina having one. For NC State fans and for NC State supporters, do you have any words of encouragement when you really are playing in the best region in basketball and quite clearly as the results would play out, playing second fiddle to two of the best teams historically and presently? Oh, why why do you want to do that, man? Why do you want to do that to state? Why do you want to do that to state people right now, man? It's a fragile time right now. It's a fragile time. Now, look, um, I if I'm an NC State fan, and look, I graduated from State in one, so I'm 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 well versed in the long suffering nature of of trying to get to the next level. I mean, I remember when I was a senior at NC State, it was uh, it was Chuck Amato fever and uh, and Philip Rivers. Okay, so I, I remember all that stuff. Or the uh, the angst around her stomach. If I'm if I'm an NC State fan, I'm not really all that concerned with what Duke and Carolina are doing because they're operating at a different position. I mean, they got two Hall of Fame coaches, okay, uh, and they're it's not you know this idea that it's a tough neighborhood around here, which I heard a lot during the NC State coaching search, is kind of silly because. Roy and Kay make it difficult on the entirety of the ACC. As if Rick Pitino doesn't have to deal with recruiting against Roy and Kay or running into them during the regular season. Proximity has nothing to do with it. NC State, in this particular coaching search and what they've got in Kevin Keats, you have to look at it, for lack of a better term, as a startup. Okay, they've got they got on the ground floor with somebody that people think highly of, and it's an actual and not. This is no offense to Sidney Lowe. And it's not really meant to be anything against Mark Godfrey, but we got you know they, they got somebody who is there to run a college basketball program. Sidney Lowe was in a position to fail when he first got there because he had no college experience and went through an AD change. The minute Debbie Yao took over the gig, Sidney Lowe was as good as gone. And we all have to remember that as much as Mark Godfrey did to bring a lot of excitement back those first couple of years. Uh, trying to scramble the roster together in May, as we kind of tend to see in the last couple of years, you know, last two years, 
was really no way to run a program. And he was out of coaching for the last couple of years. I mean, he was, in, he, was a, uh, he was an ESPN analyst, and he wasn't the first choice. I think the way that the coaching stretch executed this go-around with Kevin Keith was very well done. And I think that they got it on the ground floor of somebody that uh, is going to bring an identity. I mean, best-case scenario for NC State right now with Kevin Keats is very simple. Go look at what Tony Bennett has done at Virginia. And if you can get your identity and run your program and figure out something that, that works well, as you've seen the Cavaliers, you're going to have a lot of success. Uh, even when they've had down years, I mean, I, I give Tony, Tony Bennett all the credit in the world for maximizing a roster that had a really hard time offensing. So um, that's that, that to me is, if I'm an NC State fan, I'm not really worried about Carolina Duke. I mean, get your jokes off on, uh, on Pack Pride and the Wolf Packer and on social media and all that fun stuff. But I'm not really all like, oh, what does this mean for Kevin Keats? It ultimately means nothing for Kevin Keats. The dude's got other things to worry about right now. You briefly mentioned uh, Sidney Lowe's hiring and how really he was set up for a failure there, and then Debbie out came in and got rid of him pretty quick. And I wouldn't say it's a similar situation, but there are definitely some parallels to it with the most recent Kevin Keats hiring, and Debbie out will be gone in the next two years. Do you think that's a good place for Kevin Keats, or is that kind of setting him up for failure as well? No. No, 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 no. You know, here's the thing. Um, I understood the the angle that uh, that people were, were taking as it related to Debbie Yao. It, it goes one of two ways if we want to be candid about this. Well, I'm sorry. You can't have it both ways, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So when NC State was looking for a coach, one of the common themes from people was, uh, it was, well, who wants to work for Debbie Yao? She's a pain in the ass. Okay, well, she's not going to be there for much longer. She's got an expiration date, something that she's been very open about. So I think you can put up with a quote-unquote pain in the ass for two years, right? Oh, but then AD, you know, coaches want stability. So who's the next AD going to be? I'm like, okay, again, you can't have it both ways. I think NC State has gone about it very well in the sense that they're selling stability in the form of Randy Woodson who's the chancellor at NC State. Uh, if people forgot if they still think Marianne Fox is the chancellor or something like that. But um, so, <laughs> you know, they so Randy Woodson, I don't, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. So you've got, you got Randy Woodson, who's part of this process and selling stability. And on top of that, Kevin Keats, if I have my numbers correct, is a six-year deal. So, okay, let's say they get a new AD. And that new AD is like, hey, man, this ain't my guy. I want to hire my guy. Well, I got a four-year contract. What you going to do about it? So that's number one. Number two, if you believe that Kevin Keats is the right hire and you believe that you are good at what you do and you're going to take NC State to where everybody wants to be, the next AD would be foolish to be like, well, I want to bring the next guy in. For instance, I'll use NC State as an example as it relates to Debbie Yao and the coaches. Debbie Yao is the new AD. Everybody's job is essentially on the line because the AD wants to bring in their people. Who is the one holdover at NC State? The one, like in, of the major sports, the one. Well, Elliot Avent at baseball. And what has Elliot Avent done since Debbie Yao got here? I mean, he has won. Many, yeah, he's yeah. won. I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's continually. <laughs> it's, it's not complicated. It's that simple. It's really not complicated. He won. He's been winning. And yeah, look, you might gripe at some early exits or whatever it is, but as he states, baseball is really good at Elliot Avent. They put guys in the pro. They got a high profile. You know, I'm sure Elliot would like a little bit more love, but hey, it's baseball. It is what it is. So, you know, Tom O'Brien, you want to still be the you want to still be the uh, NC State football coach or retire on your terms? Well, don't punt Kajio. Really simple. Uh, or in the case of Dave Doran, now it's look, man. I understand that you're trying to build a program uh, and you've got your philosophy, but you can't be losing to Boston College. You know, like those types of things. Uh, you might feel that you're close, and that's great, but Really, your ACC conference record isn't very good, which puts you in a position where Debbie Yao has to write a letter or a you know like kind of a a uh, a vote of confidence. Where if you read between the lines, indicates that hey, you're bringing a lot of people back. The schedule isn't theoretically as difficult as we thought it was going to be last year, so you better win. So this is a really simple thing when it comes to coaches and ads. If you win, you can really overcome whoever the next AD is going to be. Now, if you butt heads with those people, that's a separate topic, and we've seen that. Look, you've had uh, Frank Martin, who's at South Carolina, mainly because of the Kansas State AD, screwed up. 
and they uh, they didn't they didn't see eye to eye. And they're the reason why Roy Williams, on top of the pull of being brought back to North Carolina for obvious reasons, him and his him and his, his AD did not get along there towards the end. That wasn't necessarily his guy. Whereas Dick Bedore was a very Roy uh, Roy Williams friendly AD. So all these things, you know, all these things are, uh, are 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 in play. It's not such a black and white issue that people try to make it out to be. And Joe, before we let you go, the last question, we've talked about what NC State needs to do, the goals that they have, but when you look at next season specifically, playing in the region they are, in the conference that they are, what is a realistic expectation for this basketball team to be able to do next year? This for the ba- I got to see who's here first. That's the problem. Um, we don't know. That's very true. The, yeah, we don't know what the roster is going to look like. We don't know who he's going to be able to pick up in recruiting between now and the start of the season. There could be graduate transfers. There could be any number of roster changes that take place between now and the start of the season. So, it, trying to trying to come up with what you would consider a reasonable expectation for next season is wholly dependent on what the roster looks like next season. And until we know that, I'm not quite sure. It's easy to do with, say, Carolina. It's easy to do with Duke to a certain extent because you know who's coming and, and who might be staying. But with uh, with NC State, I'm not even really sure what that roster is going to look like next season. Um, I mean, we, you could be looking at a situation that's ground floor, not going to win a lot of games because they got to build up. And you got to, you know, what I've referred to as ground uh, as a year zero. Dave Dorn went through a year zero uh, when he took over the NC State job. Or you can have a competitive team that could flirt with the NCAA tournament. I just don't know yet. That's Joe Ovius from 99.9 FM, The Fan. Joe, thank you so very much for joining us. No problem. Coming up on the other side of this break, Nick and I will talk a little bit more about what happened in the NCAA basketball tournament, NC State baseball, NC State softball, as well as an interview with NC State women's club soccer player Amanda Boland. All that and more coming up next on The Howler. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. We welcome you back to the Howler. You just heard from Joe Ovius of 99.9 FM, the fan ESPN Radio, Raleigh, Durham. Really an excellent interview, and we really got a full insight onto what the basketball landscape is right now in North Carolina and what it's going to be in this state moving forward after North Carolina's national championship win over Gonzaga. In my opinion, North Carolina just was the best team in the nation this year. And I know saying that on an NC State podcast makes you a heretic, but when you look up and down this roster, when you look at the coaching staff that they had, including the fact that Coach McGrath is now going to take a head coaching job at UNCW, in fact already has accepted that position as of this point in time, this was a team that was built to win a championship, and they went out and they took care of business. Oh, yeah, and, you know, it is – I kind of reluctantly agree with you, Drew. Carolina was the best team in the nation this past year, and you know, really, I, I wouldn't say they're most, they were the most talented team, but they were definitely the best coach team, and that's why they were the best team in the country. And my pick going into the tournament was Kansas. I thought having Frank, Frank, excuse me, Frank, Frank Mason, Frank Mason, National Player of the Year, uh, Josh Jackson, who's going to be a lottery pick, top five without a doubt. That was my favorite to win the tournament, but. You know, once again, they they stumble in the Elite Eight against Oregon. But, yeah, Charlotte, excuse me, not Charlotte, uh, the Tar Heels, one of the better teams in the country this season. Of course, they proved it winning a national championship. But as we talked with Joe, you know, Gonzaga, on the other hand, you know, no one was really giving them any credit. They were kind of overlooked. And in going into that game, I kind of overlooked the Gonzaga bigs. I, you know, didn't give much credit to Karnowski or Zach Collins, but... Just off of Zach Collins' performance in the NCAA tournament, he could be a top 15 pick in the NBA draft. The one thing I do want to ask you about, and more in the lens as it pertains to NC State, is it seemed like we saw a major uptake in the number of fouls called down the stretch in the NCAA tournament. For an NC State team that has had issues at the free throw line, for an NC State team who has had foul issues in the past, under Kevin Keats, if this is the new era of officiating where you're taking nearly all physicality out of basketball, does that favor or hurt NC State if that's a pattern that continues into next year's regular season? You know, it's too early to tell because this is a new a new team. I mean, while there there'll be some same returning players, it's someone different at the helm. It's not Mark Godfrey, it's Kevin Keats, and it, it time will tell as to what his style of play is. Joe Ovius mentioned that 
You know, they want Kevin Keats to be kind of like a Tony Bennett in not the aspect of that defensive scheme, but they play their own game. They're not trying to mimic Duke and UNC. They've just got to, you know, figure out what works best for them, and it'll it'll work out in the end. While NC State has not been a great foul uh, free throw uh, shooting team in years past, you know, I believe it was last season they were they were they they shot 69% on the season, and it, that was exactly in the middle of the country. So. For NC State, uh, and especially under Kevin Keats, I don't know if foul shooting is going to be a strength of this team. I think what Keats is known for is that up-tempo offense. Um, you got to wonder where the foul shooting is going to come from. You know, Ted Kapita coming into college, 83% from the free throw line. A surprising mark, in my opinion. But time will tell, Drew, if you know Kevin Keats is going to really lay down the law and make sure NC State fine-tunes all those fundamentals, including free-throw shooting. And I think that NC State has to find a way to be better at the line. They've got to be. They've got to be one of the better free-throw shooting teams in the nation to be successful, in my opinion, because when you look at what Mark Godfrey did with his team that made the tournament with Scott Wood on it, that was a pretty good free-throw shooting team. And they came three points away from upsetting Kansas in the Sweet 16. But... I think for NC State, if you're not going to have any excellent top-level five-star talent at the individual level, you've got to come together and all those little things team. have to work for your team as a whole. And what I've got to give Kevin Keats credit for at UNCW is while he had a couple of very good basketball players, his teams functioned as a unit, and you see the difference it makes uh, playing at the mid-major level, and now we'll see if it translates to the ACC. We ourselves are going to transition off of the hardwood and talk about NC State baseball. And Nick, is it time to push the panic button for Elliott Avent right now? Because things just are not going well. They got the win over Louisville on Friday. An impressive game. That was an that was an awesome. Well, game was there. well played baseball game. Pitching battle. Close game on Saturday that they come out of the wrong end of and they get blown out of the water on Sunday beat Charlotte in a high-scoring affair, and then dropped 2-3 of three to Notre Dame before beating UNC Asheville. Down the stretch, you've got a gauntlet. You've got number 22 Florida State at home. Then you've got Carolina on the road, Boston College on the road, and then a surging Virginia Tech team comes back in here to Raleigh April 28th, 29th, and 30th. And that's your entire ACC schedule until you get into May where you'll play Pittsburgh on the road and Clemson at home. This is not an easy schedule down the stretch, Nick. And right now, NC State is flirting dangerously with being out of the ACC baseball tournament. This was a team that came in ranked preseason sixth. Is this going to end up being another story of NC State disappointment? Unfortunately, yes, Drew. I mean, I think, you know, really looking at this past weekend's uh, series against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, NC State... Only they dropped two of three in that in that uh, in that series, and the theme this season has been the pitching hasn't been there. The pitching hasn't been there, and it was there this weekend. Brian Brown pitched well for the NC State Wolfpack. You know, it was they were both close games. The Irish won f- uh, the first matchup four to one. Uh, they they fell in the in the next one uh, two to one, but and then in the final game, NC State wins nine to two. So. In that, in that, looking at just that weekend, it clearly wasn't the pitching. The pitching was there. Joe O'Donnell, Sean Adler, and Brian Brown, they've had good games in the in the past couple of weeks or so. But it seems if something's on, the other thing is off. It's just... And you, and I, in my opinion, it really starts with the juniors. You look at Mendoza, Deathridge, and Denand. Those guys were going to be big draft picks. Top... Top tier, I I would say, and they've struggled this season, underwhelmed really, and you got to think maybe that um, upcoming draft pressure is a, is a reason for that. I think draft pressure is one thing, but I think the other thing is this team was overhyped, and I think we're getting to see that firsthand right now. So much of collegiate baseball is being able to have quality pitching, and NC State has a couple of good quality pitchers, but up and down that pitching staff, it's a problem. I don't think anybody's ever going to have an issue with this NC State offense. One through nine, they produce. I love watching this NC State team when they come to bat. But defensively, it has been a major issue for them to get one, two, three outs, go back to the dugout, and get back to the strong side of the baseball for them. That's frustrating. That's really frustrating. And especially considering the way baseball functions as a game, you've got to be able to have 
good quality defense to back up your offense at the collegiate level, especially where the balls are being hit with the metal bats, where you're having to deal with what ends up being a long ball game at some ballparks in college because you've got major league swingers who are using the metal bats. And so far, NC State just hasn't been able to conform to the challenges that ACC baseball is producing right now. At this rate, Drew, NC State will not make the ACC tournament. I don't think they will. I don't think it's going to get better. I think it, it, it's kind of a do-or-die time this weekend. Number 22, Florida State, is a tall order, but if they can steal two games against that, it'll bode well for NC State the rest of the season. But I just really have a tough time um, believing in the pack and that they will defeat Florida State twice this weekend. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if it's a sweep. You know, we always say NC State athlete, Athletics is consistently un consistently inconsistent, inconsistent and you always expect the unexpected and you know while we always talk about pitching I definitely think that's the number one reason but when you look at those three really four leaders um with Deathridge, Denad, Mendoza but then you gotta look at McLean. McLean is having a solid season uh his junior campaign but it starts with the juniors it starts with the pitching and Elliot Avent continues to say this team just needs to be better and it's not. It's not happening, Drew. Well, and for NC State, you're hovering and nearing the midway point of the season, and I think the critical thing about that Florida State matchup is you're going to come in with a record of 5-7 and seven in the ACC, and Florida State comes in with a record of 6-6. Six and six. The winner of this series is going to gain a little bit of ground in that Atlantic division, but down, down the stretch, the Louisville win ends up functioning pretty largely for NC State, even though it's only one because that's one of two ACC losses for Louisville. Clemson is 10-2. and two. Wake Forest is 8-4. and four. They're beyond the schedule. you got Florida State and then the Wolfpack. But you look at the Coastal and what you're going to have to deal with down the stretch. Carolina, 9-3 and three with a 23-6 and six overall record. Mike Fox has that team working like clockwork right now. And this is a Carolina baseball team that underperformed last season and missed the NCAA tournament. And then you've got Virginia Tech, who is sitting at 6-6, six and six, but a strong 6-6, six and six, considering they were able to get a series win over the Florida State Seminoles not too terribly long ago. This is a very competitive conference in baseball, once again, could very easily produce 7-8 to eight NCAA tournament caliber teams. And NC State, right now, sitting on the outside looking in, if you were to give me one key for this team to be able to right the ship as we go forward in the next couple of ACC series, what is it? It's you got to have the guys step up. You, you've got to have your juniors step up, your leaders on that squad. While pitching has constantly been an issue, it's going to continue being an issue. There's no way it's just going to turn around all of a sudden. You've got to hope that Brian Brown you know, kind of gets out of that spring training-like feel. I mean, he's been set back a couple of couple of weeks due to the the shoulder injury but for me you look to your leaders on that team and that's the trio of Mendoza, Deathridge, and Denand. I know I sound like a broken record Drew but that's where it has to come from because while Elliot Avon says this team just needs to get better it, it, it is the team they have to decide base and, and baseball part of its coaching but most of it is a mental game you've got to convince yourself that you are here to play and you are here to dominate and NC State hasn't done that especially just starting with that those juniors I mean that they're, they're highly touted prospects they will they will I mean I would I wouldn't be surprised if two of three end up playing in the major leagues one day but they've got to step up Drew I it it just it amazes me the batting statistics compared to the pitching statistics on this team and I I understand your junior argument and I you know, you're going to have to have those guys who go out there on the field and play both defense and offense. But I think it's got to be your pitching. I think somebody in that bullpen has to step up and say, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to be the guy to come in and give you seven innings in a start and make sure that I give up five hits or less. I'm going to be the guy who comes in in a big situation and gets the couple of outs. I'm going to be the guy who comes in and closes this game down and makes all the stress go away in the ninth inning. That bullpen right now for NC State has to step up. Who's specifically in the bullpen? I mean, Brian you Brown, know, Sean Adler, Brian, Joe you, O'Donnell, who? Well, all of them. I, I think Brian Brown is a starter, in my opinion, and I, I think it'd be hard-pressed to say otherwise is your best pitcher that you have. I've always been high on Austin Staley as a reliever, and I think Austin Staley, even with that two seven three ERA, I think he's one of those guys that you're going to be able to rely on, even as he's moving into that role where he could very well be a starter but you've got a very young pitching staff. You look at Cody Beckman, who I think has been one of the biggest disappointments this season at a 7-7-1 ERA. 
Uh, Christian Demby still elevated it as 6-3-2. It's a young pitching staff. It's a pitching staff that you didn't necessarily have to rely on this much last year, especially when you had quality starters and starters that were playing quality baseball, like Corey Wilder, who is your midweek starter. And now he's got a 6-7-5 ERA and is sort of hanging out in no man's land. Uh, but you don't have Ryan Williamson back, and you don't have Will Gilbert back. So you understand that everybody's going to have to transition into new roles, and that pitching staff is going to have to be very fluid and flexible. But at this point in the year, you've got to be able to work out all the kinks, and I think you're really going to get to see how well Scott Foxhall is a pitching coach, how well he coaches his pitchers at this point, because right now that's what's holding NC State back, at least ostensibly. You know, I, I if I had to choose someone, I'd probably say, you know, some of the leaders, maybe Joe O'Donnell, he's a senior for the NC State Wolfpack, Redshirt senior, but... I mean, Brian Brown, you know, the guy, he was supposed to be the guy this year, and he's got to step up, but it's it's going to be a team effort. To me, what NC State baseball has been epitomized by is when Carlos Rodon played his senior season, NC State didn't make the NCAA tournament. And it goes back to one game for me against Georgia Tech, and Carlos Rodon throws a complete game gem and loses one to nothing. And that was the problem with the offense. And now, poison, right? and now you've totally flip-flopped. Baseball is a funny little game, and I love it to death. It's a whole lot more fun when you're winning. And I, you, that's, that goes without saying for the most part, but it's so incredibly true. And this NC State team just hasn't found a way to win yet. There's still time. There is still ACC baseball to be played. There's still time to fix this. But now... The window of opportunity, short on it. That window of opportunity is closing extremely fast, especially this weekend as they face number 22, Florida State at home. Well, certainly will be an exciting series. We'll step aside for a short break. Coming up on the other side, we'll be joined by Amanda Boland of the women's club soccer team at NC State. This is The Howler. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. And welcome back to the West Dunn Studios of Pack tv I'm Nick Sinopoli here with our next interview of this episode of The Howler. We've got NC State's very own Amanda Boland, a member of the NC State Women's Club soccer team. Amanda, thank you for taking the time to be with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And it's always a pleasure to interview our club athletes at Pack tv We uh, cover IM sports, varsity sports, and of course club sports, but women's club soccer is a thing Pack tv covers regularly, and you guys are coming off of a big weekend last weekend with a championship victory, am I right, in um, a defeating, in a, in a tournament, excuse me, defeating the University of South Carolina and Old Dominion. Yep. Congratulations on the victory, <laughs> Thank first you. and foremost. Thank you. So, Women's club soccer in NC State has experienced success in years past, but it seems this year uh, it's been a little different. You know, going up and down the schedule this year, how have you you guys been able to be so successful? Um, I think the really big thing was getting some new members from the fall to the spring. Um, we have two or three new graduate students who have actually come and joined our team, and they have played um, actual D1 soccer at their previous schools where they were undergraduates. So they've been really big help um, on the field and just bringing the team together so far. So. And you, of course, have been on the soccer team for how many, how many years at this point? Um, since I was a freshman. So since you're a freshman, years, four yes. years. So, <laughs> Seems like just yesterday. So, being on the team for four years, what would you say uh, is the difference in this year's team than in years past? I think with in years past, um, we had a lot of players who were good players, um, but I think just moving forward, just the girls, the skill of the girls who we've been getting um, has just constantly been increasing. And we've found members that really mesh well with the current members of our team. And so I think that we really have formed not only a strong bond on the field, but also off the field as well. And so I think that's really helped us be successful with our communication while playing. And, and you're definitely right. The communication while you guys have been playing has been good. I mean, defeating USC by... Five yeah. oh, that doesn't happen in soccer. Usually you'll see two oh, maybe even three oh contests, but a five oh drubbing of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Um 
Just talk a little bit specifically about that game. What do you remember from that game that went well, uh, clearly on the offensive side of the ball? Um, yeah, so with that game, I think we were all at first kind of nervous because it was an 8 o'clock a.m. game. Um, <laughs> but really just once getting on the field, I think um, we were able to make some good passes to the corners and had our outside mids run onto those and be able to get them inside to people like Millie, who is always strong at putting the ball in the goal, um, as well as Pinlin. Um, and just like um, Margaret, she was able to shoot a, a goal from pretty far out on the um, right wing. So, um, yeah. You know, you talk about that weekend. You guys were, were dominant, and while most people uh, – don't understand how really grueling a weekend of, of college club soccer can be. You know, you've got three contests and really in the span of just two or three days. But preparing for that weekend and, you know, preparing for the eventual championship against Old Dominion, what did it take to really get the job done and close out with such a dominant victory in that as well, defeating Old Dominion 3-0. Yeah, uh, well, I think just since moving forward through the season, um, since we had spring break and then we didn't really have any games leading up to the tournament, at practice we just really focused on um, scrimmaging a lot together to maintain our communication on the field since um, we hadn't had those games. And then just moving into the weekend, we knew that we needed to be in shape, so we did work on fitness a little bit. And um, just going in, we knew that, for 11 of the seniors, they, it, there was 11 seniors, and so this was their last game going into the championship, right. you know. And so for us, it was like we really, everyone as a team wanted to play not only for them, but, you know, for each other too. And so that was really what it came down to. So you mentioned the last really contest for the seniors. Are there will there be any more matchups for you guys the rest of the season, or is the season over? At this yeah. Point? So at this point, the season is going to be over for us. Um, we kind of like to end it with the tournament and coming off as champions why not um so yeah for all of our seniors and the rest of the team it will be you know the last game of the year you mentioned that you are a senior been on the team for four years of so your entire time at nc state what are some of your greatest memories uh, from this season and years past um well so from this season or this year more so um in the fall we made it to regionals where we um drove all the way down to pensacola florida um, what a trip. Yeah. Big drive, I bet. Yes, very far. Um, we came into it being ranked 12th and ended up getting reseeded after group play as the top team and then came in second at that tournament. So that was a really fun memory. But this year, um, this season more so, we tied UNC Chapel Hill, which we haven't done in many years. Uh, we were up 2-0. to zero. Just couldn't keep the win, but that's okay. Um, and then in the past, we also made it to nationals my sophomore year, which was in Memphis, Tennessee. So that was really cool to go and experience Memphis, Tennessee, where I've never been before. It is your last season, and you and several seniors will be graduating. But do you see anyone on this team right now that you're you're, you're fine, you're, you're glad it's left in capable hands per se? You know, a c couple of ladies that are – really on the rise and going to be doing well for this club soccer team. Who are who are some uh, ladies over there you think are really going to be on the rise in the next couple of years for the Wolfpack? Yeah, um, well, Millicent Bliven, she's going to actually be taking over the club next year as the president, um, and I have tons of faith in her. She was great helping me out this year, um, so I know she'll be really great next year, um, as well as LB Shapiro. Um, she's going to be Millie's co-president, and she's a strong defender, and so I'm sure she'll be offensively. Um, and then just we have some strong freshmen, such as Anna Sh um, Sheridan. She is going to be really strong in the center for us. So, you, you, you briefly mentioned the defense right there. And, you know, defeating teams 5-0-3-0. But while, of course, the offense has been there, teams uh, is not always, you know, a common thing in soccer and especially on the club level that team have they been just pit uh for your team excuse me and on the defensive side have they just been pinching up more have they been staying of our defense does come from the center so we have um two really strong center defender depth within our defense um and all of those girls will be here moving forward so none of them will be here next year as well so we're really excited about that but um just moving forward, I feel like two center defenders work really well together, knowing when to step to the ball um, and just work really well. That's really helped. Um, a club athlete, while of course not a varsity athlete, always had a difficult schedule. How have you as a club athlete at NC State been able to manage four years? Um, for me, it's really just been kind of um, – 
planning everything. So I have like a really organized planner. Um, but it's just like making sure that you set aside time for each activity. So if I know I have soccer practice twice a week, I know that I need to get stuff done before that. Um, and so really just it comes down to being organized and being on top of all of your schoolwork. And so that's kind of how I've been successful. And talking more about the, this past weekend, I just wanted to mention you guys defeated High Point nine to zero is that is that incorrect or or is that is that a correct score no that's um that's correct <laughs> yeah um how did you achieve that feat i mean you know we talk about the five we talk about the three oh and it's sound like a broken record record here but what went right for you guys in that nine oh matchup is it something with high point something with you guys or a little bit of both yeah i think um so just with the different clubs um and the different schools there are different levels of competition and so um i think high point um, maybe wasn't the strongest level of competition that we've played in the past. Um, so that kind of did um, take part in part impartially how um, <laughs> how it was a 9-0 win for us. But I think we were able to communicate well. And for us, it was just really important to not play down to their level. So we really just focused on you know, playing the way we know how to play and making passes to our feet and making sure we're not turning into pressure and doing all of those logistical things that should be done when you play soccer it sounds like you guys are a very fundamentally sound team you just try and get the small things right it's definitely been a difference in your guys season thus far or excuse me this season yeah also um you guys are in a division a, a fairly competitive division um what are some of the the teams you like to face or the teams that necessarily are Provide the best competition. I wouldn't say High Point would be a good example of that, in my opinion. But you look at South Carolina, Virginia Tech, teams like that. What are the teams that you see either you like to like to face because it's good competition or like to face because you feel like your team gets better after you play them? Um, well, the good competition, not just within our division, but within teams within our region that will play at tournaments as well, would consist of UNC. They have two teams, so they have their A team and their B team, and both we, li we like to play both of them. They're both um, pretty good, um, as well as Virginia Tech. Clemson is always a fun team to play. Appalachian, they're fun to play. Um, just Those schools are probably more of the schools that are at our level um so it is like tough competition um but even ecu they always give us a hard time just because they are so physically aggressive on the field not surprised um, really for me yeah, yeah so we don't really <laughs> we don't really like playing them because they're really really aggressive but you do but you don't you yeah. do because it's ecu and you want to you want to kick their butts but yeah. you don't because it's ecu yeah true. <laughs> um one last question for you here on The Howler. Thank you again for taking the time to be with us. But you mentioned Pensacola, Florida. You mentioned, you know, all the great places you've been, defeating, uh, tying UNC, finishing second at regionals this year. If you had to pick one moment or maybe one place you've been that you hold you hold to your heart the most, uh, being on the club soccer team at NC State, what would it be? Um, well, one moment that I cherish the most would just be making the team as a freshman. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a game, but that was like a huge thing for me coming into college. I knew that I really wanted to be a part of this team and having going out to tryouts and actually making the team is something that I will forever cherish because I've made so many friends and been able to experience so many things along the way. Out of all the wonderful moments you've had, definitely yeah. Making the team is yep. one of the best. Amanda <laughs> Bolin, thank you so much for joining us on The Howler. It was a great interview, and we, we were glad to have you. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. We'll take one quick short break, and we'll be back on The Howler. Drew Blevins and I will have more analysis. We'll talk about some club soccer, and we'll talk about baseball, football, spring game, and everything in between. This is The Howler. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. And we welcome you back to the Howler for our final segment. Drew Blevins and Nick Sinopoli back in studio. Wrapping it up here in the final 15 minutes of what's so far been a very good episode, I think. Joe Ovius and Amanda Boland, we thank them both for joining us. Let's step off of women's soccer for a second and head back to the diamond, but let's head back to the dirt diamond and talk a little bit about this NC State softball team. You've been there for quite a number of games covering with the technician. What have you seen out of this softball team so far? You know, it's it's been kind of the same story um, in terms of uh, 
the baseball team, really. I mean, the pitching struggled a little bit. Peyton Silverman, I like what I've seen from her so far. I think she's a little young on the season, but the one thing Sean Rychick always talks about is that their bats are coming are are you know coming alive so late in the game. I mean, um, I remember it was last week. The, actually, this past week, uh, the the game got canceled. It was supposed to be against UNC Greensboro, but it was canceled due to inclement weather. But last weekend, I saw the Wolfpack face off against the Liberty Flames, and it wasn't until the fourth, yeah, I want to say the fourth inning that NC State had a hit, and uh, they were down 5-0 at that point, and it took NC State a while to climb back in that contest, and it's kind of a similar thing with the baseball team that the leaders on that team, the the more experienced players, aren't stepping up. Tyler Ross, while of course she you know, leads NC State in the home runs every season, she's leading in strikeouts as well. The girl, while she's a power hitter and a fun player to watch, she swings at everything, Drew, and I, I, you love that mentality, swing for the fences, but it's a high-risk, high-reward in softball, and, you know, up and down that roster, there, there's been some injuries, there's been Molly Hutchinson's been a little shaken up lately, but Jade Carraway is a, is a, is a bright spot, a freshman on that team, uh, Haley Kobziak, uh, uh, Haley Finn, so while the pieces of the puzzle are there, it's just this team is young, and it's like they get a little slow out of the gate, in my opinion. And they're slumping right now. But when you look at the schedule they played, a ranked Carolina team that you get swept by in and the they, ACC. And that, well, they did. Well, they stole a game against them. They stole that Sunday game, pardon me. Yes, they did, and then got swept by Tennessee. They're coming into the Georgia Tech series on a, a bit of a slump, though. The Liberty loss in the midweek hurts. But you really did get a good measuring stick about what this NC State softball team does in the non-conference Tennessee series against a lower-ranked SEC opponent. Mercy ruled in the Saturday game. Played them marginally close in the other games, though. Yeah, only, only a five-run deficit in both. And that's honestly not bad when you look at a team that but Tennessee no, ranked 19th in the country. But you talked about Tyler Ross swinging at everything is this a discipline issue at the plate for this team? Is this a pitching issue that the team is so young? Because it, it just seems right now, for all the praise that we've given this softball team, and we don't know what the postseason holds for them yet, considering the ACC slate that they've got coming up, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Boston College, Louisville to round out the series, three of those five series on the road. But they don't play. How, they don't play well away. How how close is this team? Do you think? How close are they? You know, I I don't think they're close at all. I mean, the the amount that just the, I think it is a discipline at the plate issue, and I think the the youth movement in NC State has really affected the older players. You know, Tyler Ross is going to leave after this season, and she's be like, well, dang, you know, one of the better players in recent memory for NC State softball, and it's going to go for naught, despite you know clinching a Super Regional two years ago under Sean Rychick, but NC State struggled, and I think this is, this was an unexpected rebuilding year. Last year was going to kind of be a rebuilding year. Due and to then they this. lost players. And then, and then they lost players, so they're even, I mean, it's a one step forward and two steps back, so that's just how, how it goes, but you know, this season it was really unexpected in terms of rebuilding years. This was gonna, this was supposed to be a year where NC State could have competed in the ACC, maybe uh, kept up with the likes of UNC Chapel Hill, stealing a game against them. No way they're going to be up there with Florida State. But a disappointing season so far, in my opinion, Drew. And you know, I I understand Sean Rychek's thinking of this team has got to get going faster out of the gate, and that's only something that the girls are going to have to fix themselves. They're they're going to have to. It's the same thing with the baseball team. You really just got to get get inside your head and say, "Look, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make plays for my team." And it's just that X factor that they have, and they're lacking it right now. See, I don't think it's a disappointing season. I think the fact NC State started well in the ACC. I don't think it's a disappointing season. I'd say it's a rebuilding season. See, I don't even know if it's that. It's going to get better for NC State next season, I believe, and I think that happens largely because. You've got a very good freshman core, led by Jade Carraway, who's going to be able to produce for you. But NC State this season sitting fifth in the ACC standings behind Florida State, Carolina, Boston College, and Louisville. And you'll be surprised. I mean, they're fifth, but, I mean, 12-23 and you know, overall, 6-3 well, in the but conference. Here's but. what you've got to look at. Down the stretch, even though it's on the road, 
you're going to play Georgia Tech, you're going to play Pittsburgh, and you're going to play Virginia Tech. All those teams are far below you in the standings. And that helps NC State tremendously moving forward. This is a softball team. I don't know if they're going to make the NCAA tournament. I'd be scared to make that call right now. But they could. They're not going to host, but they could. This is for, for me, this NC State softball season just affirms how good of a coach Sean Reichick is and how good of a coach Tracy Odick-Zins is, and in only her first year, how good Kieran Kumar is. Because this is a young team, and when we talked to Sean Reichick on this show not quite a month ago, he was very adamant about telling us that it is a very steep learning curve to go from playing high school softball to playing in the ACC, which in its own regard is becoming a better and better softball conference every single year. And we are talking a little bit about the seniors. We're talking about Tyler Ross, as we always do. But we're also talking about Jade Carraway and Haley Finn and Haley Kobziak and Molly Martin, who is a senior but hasn't necessarily seen a lion's share of the playing time. And the other thing you've got to remember is it feels like NC State is only doing this with two pitchers, whereas other teams could have three and four because Harley Hubbard's ERA is so incredibly astronomically high, sitting at just below 10.0 at a 9.92. You're doing this, and a lot of credit's got to go to the coach because he's motivating his players to go out there and play. And this NC State team, while they haven't done it all the time, and we didn't expect them necessarily to even be able to scratch a game off of Carolina at Anderson Stadium. They did. This is a team that is working together and as a unit and as a mechanism is starting to make strides forward. You know, that's an interesting take on it, Drew. Because, I mean, when I watch this team, I'm not necessarily impressed by them. I mean, looking up at that midweek game against Liberty, it was so frustrating watching them because... I thought the pitching was good. I thought Silverman was doing well. I thought the fielding, the defense was was performing well. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden they're down 5-0, allowing five runs in the top of the fourth inning to the Liberty Flames. And credit to the Flames, you know, they're they're a decent program, but you shouldn't be allowing five runs into an, an inning to a mid-major school like that. And, you know... Same looking, thing happened against Fordham, though. Yes, and looking looking at this team and looking at who they've played... While, in my opinion, it was going to be a rebuilding year, they've done a little bit better than a rebuilding year. It's just I don't think the ACC right now in softball is anything you know, to brag about. You've got UNC Florida State and Florida and State, and that's it. That's it. I mean, you, you, and you talk about bait, but looking at baseball, I mean, the whole the whole standings, like all the whole conference yeah. could beat most of the teams in the country, and... But just looking at this softball team, I think the talent is there. I just don't think they're putting it together. And I think it's just mo- most See, of the youth. And I, youth is a huge factor. I a agree huge with that. factor. Huge factor. But I think they're a lot closer to putting this thing together than you're giving them credit for. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm, it's just I'm, a non-conference this, schedule I'm looking at. I mean, 6-3 and three in the ACC. I mean, all, six all and three, credit them. That's, and that's, that's what solid. I'm looking at. But, like, but you look at the non-conference schedule they played too, though. They're getting, they played a they're very, very, a vi- but they played good teams, especially in I mean, the Minnesota, early- Michigan, and Tennessee. Minnesota and Michigan, who are perennial top twenty-five powerhouses. But then I you're losing it all for- And Tennessee, Tennessee has historically been one of the best softball programs. They were the one who produced Cat Osterman. But then you look. Okay, yeah, I understand. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. You know, compete against and big the fact non-conference those, But the thing the is, the midweek games. It's the, the midweek games, Drew. Looking losing to Liberty, I bet you they would have lost the UCB last I night. I would much rather, I would much rather lose the midweek games that essentially don't have meaning when it comes to the ACC. But you like and be to, able to win form those? Yes, you do because it helps on your tournament resume. Should you be lucky enough to make it, I can I agree in the fact that it'd be nice to win those. But when you're looking at the in conference and the way this team comes through in the clutch when it matters, you got to give them credit for that. I mean, I'll give them credit. You know, I was surprised. I, I said, okay, you know, maybe they'll be able to steal a game against UNC, but that didn't happen. I, I mean, they, they stole. I mean, they stole one game, but you know, maybe I'm just caught up in the baseball thing. You know, thinking like, all right, you know, they're not winning midweek games, but they're not even winning conference series either. But NC State softball, I think, I just think this team is better than they're playing, and while. You, you'll you'll agree you'll will disagree on the fact that they're that you think they're they're you know almost piecing it together this year. I think 
if youth wasn't a factor, if it was just pure talent, this team would be pretty dang good. But it's just at the plate, you know, something's going on with them. You know, they're phased out, and it, it, it really – it's frustrating to watch them at the plate. Well, I – it's it's hard for me to criticize a softball team that had low expectations going in and is well over 500 in the ACC. But I can tell you this: that was a quality analysis of NC State softball, and that's the first time I've ever think I've gotten a little heated over talking about softball, <laughs> which which is is so much fun because we we get to cover a fair amount of softball between the two of us, and it will be interesting to see how this team does moving forward. Yeah, I think this is a team that has what it takes to be successful. They're just maybe two or three years out, Drew. Well, to wrap the show up, we're going to step back from the varsity level and move on to the club sports field where we've got a very, very good NC State lacrosse team doing what NC State lacrosse does, and that, for the most part, is winning. They took two out of three in Owings Park, Maryland, from March 31st to April 2nd, the only loss coming in a 6-7 heartbreaker to Pittsburgh. This is an NC State team that has three losses, all of them coming by a single goal. And they have two division wins with their final divisional games coming up here on the weekend against South Carolina and then April 12th. That's the midweek game against Elon. This is a team that is barreling down the stretch of their season looking to make a playoff run. It looks like they're going to be heading to Atlanta on April 21st, 22nd, 23rd. Right now, PAC-TV has plans to be there. Nick Sinopoli and I will be alongside with you for the call. But overall, this lacrosse team isn't just winning, they're pummeling teams. They find ways to score. If they're playing a defensive team, they find ways to outsmart them. Just reading some of these score lines, they finally get a huge win over Buffalo by a final count of 7-2. to two. It's the first win in school history over the Buffalo Bulls. Pummel South Carolina 7-3, to three, all over Purdue at 13-6, to six, and then beating Indiana 11-5. to five. South Carolina, always good. George Washington, typically competitive, and Elon down the stretch, Nick. All of these look to be winnable games for this NC State lacrosse team, but what Chris Demarest has done in only his first year as head coach is simply remarkable. Oh, yeah, and, you know, last time out uh, on the field where I I got to see them, it was against the UNC Charlotte 49ers. And while the the 49ers are not in the same division, they're in the D2 team in the the northeast, actually, of of their lacrosse conference, they're a solid team, but NC State absolutely destroyed them. Demolished them. Demolished them. It, it was ugly to see nineteen. Earth, yes. Nineteen to four. They were just scoring at will out there. And I'm not a big lacrosse guy, and the fact that I don't know a lot about the game, but it was so impressive to see them just score at will and do what they wanted to do against the Charlotte 49ers. And you mentioned the Buffalo matchup in last year, a game that we covered. It was one of the better lacrosse games I've ever witnessed. And you know they beat him by five goals a couple of weeks ago. Five goals, while it's not 15 against the 49ers, still impressive nonetheless. But NC State, in my opinion, is going to win out in this regular season, and I think they're primed to make a run in the SELC playoffs. See, I think this is a team that understands what happened last year against George Washington, and I think they find a way to exaggerate. Yeah, George Washington, if there's, if there's yeah. any, If there's any game that's going to be close, though, I think it's going to be the South Carolina game, because South Carolina typically... The game. Exactly, in lacrosse, at least. But it will be very interesting to see what goes down and what happens down the stretch for this uh, NC State lacrosse team, we had talked to Clayton Blackwelder, and he had talked about potentially making a deeper run in the playoffs, which will start in Atlanta, Georgia. You don't know who you're going to be playing, but you know the travel factor there, about six to seven hours on a bus. You want to make sure you're fresh with healthy legs there, but this is a very impressive team. You can just start reeling off names. Miller Barber. Michael Sullivan. Michael Sullivan. Tyler Miller Barber. Jesse are... Melton. Nick Davis. There is not a lot of... Of weakness. I remember on that team. in that 49er in that uh, game against the 49ers, saw Michael Sullivan score four goals against him, and two of them were just absolutely ridiculous, like no look around the back. And I was like, "Well, where's ESPN on here? Let's put that on top ten. Uh, those are some of my favorite top ten moments seeing lacrosse players just barrel through the back of the net." But yeah, this is a team where it's not like just one or two guys getting it done. It's really not a matter of of where of when, but where's it coming from. Well, it will be very interesting to see what this lacrosse team does down the stretch. I'm very excited to be able to watch them as they continue to work. That's going to do it for us here on another excellent edition of The Howler, in my opinion. Two really, really good interviews. Always fun to have Amanda Bowen on the show and Joe Obius making his debut. Quality discussion about baseball, softball, lacrosse, you name it, we talked about it. And we hoped you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. For Nick Sinopoli, I'm Drew Blevins. 
you've just been given the state of Wolfpack Athletics. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Howler, a service of Pack TV. Find out more at go.ncsu.edu slash sports. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company, handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com.